Cougs house. Jarris Walker looks to be the highest drafted Houston Cougar in the NBA since Hakeem Olajuwon. And where could he land? Let's get into it. You are locked on Cougs, your daily podcast on the Houston Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Cougs, the daily podcast about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach, Parker Andrews, that to break down all things Cougs. If you're a U of H fan or just a hater can step by, please be sure to subscribe down below. That way we can last on the Cougs in your newsfeed each and every day. We appreciate you making Locked On Cougs your first listen of the day. Uh, welcome back to the YouTube channel. It's good to see you again. I remember we we're giving something away every uh, 250 subscribers, so the next mark is... 1500 congrats to juan uh juan in texas for winning the 1250 hat oh, we're still working on again way up 1500 we'll figure some out so make sure you subscribe down below to let us know that uh to help us get there and then to let us know you're in the contest make sure you like and comment uh if after talking about jairus walker today you're like i don't know what to say about this guy until he gets drafted tell us what your first job was right or if you haven't had a first job yet i guess what you want it to be um Thank you all so much for tuning in today. Today we have a fun episode. We're going to be talking to Tony East of Locked On Pacers. Locked On Pacers is the channel in our uh, Locked On NBA Draft Mock Special thing, which you should go check out after this is over. Uh, they did every draft pick in the first round. The Pacers ended up with Jairus Walker, as you'll see in the conversation here in a second. I think the Pacers are a great fit for Jairus. I don't know if Jairus falls past the seventh pick where they're sitting. A lot of things working together there, uh, you know, whether it's Samson and Carlisle knowing each other or whatever. Um, a lot of things working on that. So we're going to talk about Jairus, the Pacers, his NBA fit, what could go on, et cetera. All things today. So make sure you hit subscribe down below and enjoy the conversation. Let's bring on in Tony. It is Jairus Walker time. Maybe one of the best fits in this draft class for the Pacers. We'll dissect it all today if he is or if he isn't. His skills on both ends of the floor. Why he's a lottery prospect without the gaudy stats. And joining me to do that, somebody who watched every second of Jairus Walker's college career. Host the Lockdown Cougs, not Cougars, Cougs covering the Houston Cougars. It's Parker Ainsworth. Parker, what did you think? Big picture of Jairus Walker's lone year at UH. <laughs> Uh, my big picture first thought was like, why can't we get more? <laughs> I would love to have Jerry Walker for a lot more. Um, man, what a kid, what a kid, what an athlete, what a basketball player. Um, but impressive athlete to walk through Houston's campus. We don't get a whole lot of, I guess he technically measured it like little, uh, closer to six, seven, but a whole lot of guys that big, strong, fast athletic coming through Houston's basketball program, like just tremendous yeah, athlete. He, he measured 6'7". I hate that they do this thing at the Combine where it's their measurement without shoes. Oh, well, Jairus Walker's going to play barefoot in the NBA, so thank God <laughs> we got that measurement wrong. I hate that. Who cares? Okay, anyway. Yeah, he is so imposing, right? Like, you mentioned his size. And that, like, that's not where I wanted to start, but since I'm talking about it. It's just like, he he's not even that tall, but just like his stockiness, his muscularness, and the fact that he moves really well with that size, just like... Makes him look so imposing as he moves around the court. And it stands out immediately before he even does anything in games. Yeah. And this is, I mean, now we're talking about body parts and stuff. But like his like quads are so big. They, like the shorts yeah. don't fit really around his quads. Um, 
big, strong shoulders, long arms. I mean, he's a tremendous athlete. And honestly, like as a you know group of five moving into power five program, Houston doesn't get those kind of athletes very often. Um, really, really tremendous to have on campus. Well, hey, you're going to the power fives now, so it'll yeah, <laughs> maybe more of those will be in the future of UH. But to start with, where that that size and that power is all functional. Jarris Walker, if you just statistically per game looked at him, you'd go, why is this guy a lottery screams, jumps off the page about his abilities, and his defense is the place to start if you want to know more about why he's regarded so highly in this draft class and his abilities. Like the last game I was talking to Parker before we recorded that I watched her and they were playing Wichita State, and he's just blowing up plays. He's coming up to the level of the screen. He switches. He stops the guard. He falls back to his man. His man gets the ball. He forces a pass. Then he dives down to the guy who catches it in the post up and steals it. He did that twice in like three minutes, and then he did it again in the second half. It's like he can guard everybody. And something I critique a lot with young prospects, and it's not fair to critique all of them for the same thing. Like everybody gets better at this, but a lot of guys their whole life, they're so good and so athletic that they don't have to pay attention when their guy doesn't have the ball. Like they can just recover. Yeah. Jairus Walker's off-ball defense is good, too, right? He pays attention. He's positionally very sound. Like, every part of his defensive game is just so impressive for someone of his age and an imposing stature and athleticism level. And I think he could be the best defender in this class. Maybe we'll see him in your projecting for NBA career. I mean, you'd pick the field over one guy. But, like, <laughs> there's a good chance it'd be him. Right, And that's right. why he's thought of so highly as a prospect. That defense is just incredible. Yeah, and I think you mentioned like the help side activity. Um, if anything, early in his college career, so I think Kelvin Sampson's a great defensive coach, and that obviously helps him out a lot. Uh, you could almost argue early in his college career, he was almost too much on the help side. There's no defense three seconds in college basketball, right? And so he's like in the paint, ready for the help side a lot. Um, but then certainly by like that January time of the year, he really figured it out a lot more. Um, the If you're looking for like help side blocks and that kind of stuff, he had six blocks against Auburn in the second round of the NCAA tournament. Um, obviously, the stat came around in college basketball after Akeem Olajuwon, but that's the most blocks in a, in a tournament or a postseason game for any Houston Cougar ever. And they've had some pretty good basketball players come through. So <laughs> a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty outstanding performance for him to kind of keep Houston moving on to the next round. Um, you mentioned defending stuff, though. I was thoroughly impressed. He's a true, at least at the college level, was a true, and I think would project one through five defender with the way that centers are getting kind of smaller, more agile. Um, his strength allows him to play with the bigger guys. His length and quickness allows him to play with the smaller guys. And he does a great job of like the trail pin off the backboard kind of stuff with his arm length and wingspan. Um, he's a really, really tremendous one through five switch. He plays up the level, like you mentioned, in, in uh, screen roll kind of actions. He's really, really strong defender. I sometimes hate that prospects get the like he can guard one through five label because for most prospects they they can't or like i don't think they can the pacers have isaiah jackson on their team and he is closer and he was a five and well he wasn't a five in college but he's tall enough to be a five but that's actually his worst defensive position is the five because he's skinny right he can jump really right. high he can stand for the guards but he's really skinny jaris isn't skinny like i think that really tall centers might give him fits just because there'll be a height advantage for the big man but like I'm pretty confident he'll be able to guard several positions switch well. And in the NBA, where a lot of teams switch in general, but most teams switch like size always anyway, even in non-switching schemes, just like the fact that he's not enormously tall honestly means he'll just be switching more in, yeah. the, in the NBA. And we're on a Pacers show here, like Pacers switch a decent amount under Rick Carlisle. Like 
he'll just fit in so many schemes. And the fact that it's not just like when he's guarding the pick and roll, although he does well there too, right? At the at the at the level of the screen, he was good. He can recover when he drops back because he can stand in the paint for thirty seconds in college basketball, which I was so confused on so many times. I was like, "This is man, all oh, right, it doesn't matter." Um, he, can, he can get up to the shooter. Like it's just so impressive all the ground he's able to cover. I feel like I'm saying just like various little different minor things that some guys are good at, some guys aren't. But he's kind of good at all of them. And so even though, again, I hate I hate to just keep using his offensive stats to explain why he's a good prospect. Like, even though he's an 11 point, whatever points per game guy, I don't care about that number. His defense is so good that it just doesn't matter. He can, he, he, he looks like he could be a rare rookie that no, no rookie's a good defender day one in the NBA, but just like can clearly have ways to be helpful right away in a way that most rookies don't when they reach the pros. Yeah. And we've seen, I think with more sophisticated college defenses and switching and stuff like that, um, and frankly, just a lot more guys around the same size in the NBA. You're seeing a lot more wing-sized guys playing guard positions, a lot more wing-sized guys playing small ball five positions. Um, that guys are maybe coming a little bit more ready, but we've talked about his body a lot. But the size, strength, combination, athleticism, the vertical leap, all that kind of stuff ties into it. And then he's also just – you mentioned the help side kind of stuff. He's always aware. He always understands where the ball is, where the ball's going, what action's being run. And as a Cougar, I want to point out that that's also some of Kelvin Sampson, but that's also got to be the guy on the floor too, right? I mean, he's got to understand it as well. Um, tremendous defensive upside. And frankly, I would say that that sets his floor really high as a prospect because if you can defend, you can play for a long time, right? Yeah, yeah, years and years. And every team wants defense now, right? Like you look at this finals matchup and some of the – any team that was in the final eight even in the postseason, like key adjustments were like, how do we get this large defender on the court for more amounts of time? Aaron Gordon just being huge was like a huge factor in game one. You could go on and on about how important that is. And something else that matters here, and this is Kelvin Sampson credit, like they don't run switching all the time at Houston. We were talking about this before we started recording, but a couple of the games I watched, they played Central Florida, who has Taylor Hendricks. And so right at the beginning of every possession, Hendricks would have the ball. He'd pitch it to a guard and Walker would be guarding him and he would just stay with him. They wouldn't switch, right? They kept their best defender on Hendricks. But then in Wichita State and South Florida, he, he would switch all the time, right? They didn't need him to be just staying with the other team's best player as much. So, I mean, this might be small. Maybe I'm overthinking this, but just like attention to a game plan, right? That's good. <laughs> the fact that he could do that as well. Like it's just all these little things that slowly add up. And you're like, man, this guy's defense just could be awesome. And I And even if, you know, you are projecting what a player will be in the NBA, even if he doesn't improve much, like I don't even think he'll be a bad defender. And that matters a lot. Just like yeah. you're not going to be a negative on the end of the floor. Great. That matters. Coop's house. All right. Now, before we get going too much farther, talking about all of the fun stuff going on with the Houston Cougars this fall, this football season, going in the big 12 and all of that, we do need to take a second and talk about the most fun product out there right now. And that are bird dogs, shorts and pants. They're great for all occasions. They make you look and feel great. I wear them on dates with my wife. I wear them in front of my classroom. I wear them sit here podcasting. I wear them to the pool. I've worn the shorts to the pool already. The shorts have been with me to the gym already as well. Bird dogs are made for any and all occasions. They got stretch fabrics that make you, uh, they tight, they're tight fittings to make you look a little slimmer, but also feel stretchy and roomy at the same time. The liner inside is a must. You don't have to have it, but the liner inside is a must. Trust me and thank me later. You'll find yourself wearing bird dogs on all occasions. So make sure you grab a pair today. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on college. Use the promo code locked on college. Tell them that we sent you 
and they'll throw in a free Yeti-style tumbler with Bird Dog logo on the front. Keeps the cold drinks cold and the hot drinks hot. Trust me, this summer in Texas, you're going to try to keep those cold drinks cold as long as possible. You're going to want that tumbler. You're going to want these shorts. You're going to want these pants. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on college today. Right, because you mentioned the finals. We're watching the finals like the Heat are like, can we sneak Duncan Robinson in for a while here at the end of the game? Like, <laughs> do we have to play a zone if we have someone? So, like, those kinds of things matter, right? Being able just to functionally play defense to guys on the floor. And I don't think there's any question about can you play defense in a 55, 54, whatever kind of matchup with Jairus Walker on the floor. Yeah, the Pacers need size. They need fours. Rick Carlisle, their head coach, when asked what this team kind of needs, uh, this offseason was like, yeah, every team's looking for size that can make plays on offense and we need defense and hey Jairus Walker can certainly do two of those things we'll talk about the offensive game in fact I want to get to that right now because this is sort of why I rate him really highly as a prospect is where I'll start with and then we'll talk about the the, the ceilings and limits of his offensive game right so he shot it well enough right and that's sort of where I think my belief in his floor stems from he at 34.7 percent of his threes at Houston. Not like a ton of attempts. Uh, over 100, though, so not an embarrassing number of attempts. Free throw shooting suggests that, like, maybe he's not going to be an awesome shooter, but good enough as a shooter. And if you just look at, like, there's only six freshmen ever who have made 35 threes and had a block rate and steal rate at his level. Uh, most of them made the NBA. I don't know who Zach Austin is at high point, but the rest of them all made the <laughs> NBA and were first-round picks. There's only five of them, actually. It's like, it's if, if you can, even if he's just a shooter, in the NBA, no one thinks of Jairus Walker as a 3-and-D prospect. I don't think he should be thought of as a 3-and-D prospect, but even if he's 35% in the pros on, like, three attempts a game, that's enough. That's enough with his defense to be like, this guy can help you on both ends. And so that gives me a lot of confidence in his floor, the fact that he made enough of those threes, even though it's not like, you know, I'm not like, oh, they need to hunt out Jairus Walker threes. What is Houston doing? But it's like a viable enough thing that when he took them, it was a fine shot. Yeah, 35% is the kind of thing where you're not upset when he takes one. Um, and frankly, the defense needs respect that he could take them, right? Um, they're not going to make him take threes. I, I also think that, and this is me watching him across the 36 or 7 games, um, truthfully, it took him like the 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 rhythm or, or the form itself takes a little bit longer than he than a typical like perimeter guy would. And I don't I don't mean to put it on the Pacer staff, but to me that's just repetition, right? That's repetition and, and reps and a shooting coach can kind of speed those kind of things, the mechanics of that up. Um, and frankly, if he could get more off that 35% at a higher or at a higher volume would be a whole lot different conversation, right? Because um, there are frequently times where he might be like slow to pull the jump shot and it's like, oh, I'm six seven two forty five i'm just gonna body this guy like that right. <laughs> you know, as you happens should. too yeah. exactly um and so I, I wonder if that actually not necessarily increases in percentage but increases in he does become the kind of guy who gets four four and a half attempts a game instead of two and a half attempts a game or something like that sometime down the line i, I it wouldn't surprise me it, it would take a mechanics guy a speeds guy but it wouldn't surprise me the thing about that level of shooter, too, is volume just becomes important for spacing, right? Like, if you make 35%, but every time you catch, you take it, like, your defender still has to think about that when you're behind the three-point line. But if you shoot it half the time or less than that, they're like, hey, whatever, I'll sag off of you and stop something else. So the, I, I agree with you that more reps, more time, more volume will be important for him on that. But I don't think he'll be an awful shooter, and I think that's going to matter a lot, like, Something I, I, I mentioned this, I think, on every prospect show. There's so many forward prospects in this draft class. 
is like, I have this belief that for forwards, you just have to be a good defender or a good shooter to be in a rotation in the NBA these days, right? You don't have to be good at both. If you could just do one or the other, there's a spot for you to play. Now, if you're just good at one or the other, your ceiling's not that high. So, of course, Jairus's offense is going to matter for, you know, where he's picked or what the team evaluates of him. But he's already good enough of a defender to play. If the three can be a weapon, too, that's enormous because the other part of his offensive game that people talk about a lot, and this is the opposite of a lot of other top prospects that people like, is like everyone else above him on most mock drafts they have upside as a shot creator or like an obvious way that they're breaking down or bending a defense and that isn't there as much for Jarris walker i tweeted a clip right before we started recording of him uh in that first central florida game where he catches the top of the key and no one's in front of him he takes two really hard dribbles and throws a beautiful interior pass to his teammate to set up a shot i'm like man if i could just see that like once a game I'd feel a lot better about his creation upside because for all the things he does well, finishing plays, the creation upside that people crave that can get defenses in rotation or can create good shots for your team in general isn't there. And look, the Pacers might not need it themselves. They already have a lot of creators, but that is where a lot of people think of upside. And you don't have, like, he has a lot of defensive upside, so I don't care as much about that. But that's where the limit is to me in his game is that he's not that creator on the offensive end. So what's funny is I would say he's not a he wasn't a big creator in his year in college, but I would call him a good passer. Like I thought, yeah, I thought I he threw good passes and I, I found guys open in the right spots and hit him in the pocket and so on. But he wasn't necessarily the, like the driving engine in the same way that um, another top four prospect, right? Be Brandon Miller, right? Like Brandon Miller did all the things for Alabama, especially in the second half of the season, right? Uh, you mentioned you watched UCF and Taylor Hendricks. Like they wanted to go through him a lot more. Um, yep. Whereas Houston had like, Marcus Sasser, who was conference player of the year, point guard, right? Or Jamal Shedd was conference defensive player of the year, right? He's the other guards, the guys that are like more veteran college guys, right? Um, to kind of steer the ship in that way. I don't know how much of his IMG tape you watched. I was watching when he was a recruit coming in. Um, he did do more of that point forward stuff for IMG. Obviously, it's a whole like that is the highest level of high school basketball, but it is just high school basketball. So you got to like take some of that with what you got there. Um, but I, I would have said I was surprised he did so little of it at Houston after having watched the IMG tape. But I would imagine, like you're saying, the Houston tape, as far as how much of that he can and will do, will translate a lot more because it's just higher competition. It does matter what you do in high school, too, though. Like, of course, I only watched four total games of this guy. But, you know, NBA teams have years and years and years of evaluations and stuff like that. I always read stories. I was talking to someone about this today about, like, X team drafted X player and they loved his draft work at him. Like they scouted this guy for years. And you're telling me they picked him because of his workout. Like, come on, <laughs> come on. I don't, I don't buy this for one second. I never at do. all, but <laughs> IMG matters a lot. But those programs like IMG matter a lot too, just because they have a pipeline. They have coaches who know people like that's a big deal. Um, and yeah, a lot of these guys who are really good in college were amazing and had the ball all the time. Right, 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 right. I guess team USA experience too, right? Uh, U19 or whatever it yeah, was. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he's going to, because he is 19 now. I don't know if he'll make the, the big league team or what have you. Um, but he was in the system. I will say, though, that, that uh, if you're in the high school tape, that high school team had he and Keontae George, and like they could roll. <laughs> like, it, it's a fun tape what a to boy go watch. Team. Sounds yeah. unfun to play against. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something interesting about his offense, like removing the creation part, because that's what, I think that's what people just traditionally think of with upside. Like Amen Thompson could just like run by anybody at any time with the ball and make a defense rotate. Um, 
he finishes well inside. Like if you go to CBB Analytics, pull up a shot chart, 69% at the rim. That's awesome. That's what you want to see from a guy who might be rolling to the basket a lot or just catching the ball down there. He's not going to post anybody up and do like a three dribble back down. It's not a thing in the NBA anymore anyway. Yeah. But if yeah. he gets the ball there and he's got a chance to put it in, great. He's going to do it. Sometimes that's dunk. Sometimes it's a finish, whatever. That's going to go in. But he also finished well enough in the paint, above average in the paint area, but outside of the rim, 41.5% there, 0.3% above college average, decent enough in the mid-range. His above the break three was at 38%. The corners were abysmal, uh, which is not something that NBA teams will like. But either way, like a lot of his finishing – from areas where he had the ball a lot was impressive and why his field goal percentage is solid, even though he's not like an amazing shooter. So I think if he is just tasked with being a play finisher at times, that'll be totally fine. That's something he's capable of, even though again, not a high volume, like he attempted less than 10 shots a game, but I think he can be a play finisher in the NBA, especially inside the arc if asked to be. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting too, um, in watching, it's not quite the same kind of creation either, but we both agreed that I thought he was a good passer. Um, he, he caught you talk about, about the top end of the lane or whatever, the short roll kind of stuff he would do. Uh, the most notable game to me with the stuck out was against Virginia, a very pack line defense, right? Forcing long shots. Um, he made quick decisions in that that didn't always lead to a shot because you're, elite, you're playing against an elite college defense. But I, I did think it was interesting that they went to that against uh, Cincinnati and Virginia in a couple instances. Um, where it would just it it put more of onus on him to make a decision in the top half of the lane, and he had for a guy that's two hundred and forty five pounds, um, as good a touch on that floater kind of stuff from that like a ten foot floater as opposed to like a at the rim float kind of shot. Um, I I honestly didn't know that at two forty five guys could do that. That I would think a nineteen year old <laughs> kid with all that muscle would just be throwing rocks at the rim. You know, I had no idea it was coming. Um, even after watching some of his high school tape, right? It was impressive to say the least. Again, in that like 10 to 15 feet area um, off the catch, like you're saying, off the screen and roll. Yeah, for sure. And and I think those are all going to be interesting indicators for him too. And like his role is going to matter, right? Like Houston had players who should have the ball instead of him. But that isn't the case with sometimes with these prospects. Where it's like they're the best player on the team. They should have the ball all the time. Wasn't necessarily the case for the Cougs. I gotta be careful. Like if I say locked on Cougars, I made this joke before we started. That's a different show. That's BYU. We're not talking about Jimmer. I'm talking about Derek. <laughs> um, last thing I want to touch on with him offensively, his screening ability specifically because a, a frame like he has, like I think he'll when he gets the NBA, he'll be a four right away. But it's gonna be so tempting for whatever team picks him to go. Oh wow, you're just giant. Okay, yeah, you're the five. And so he'll be, he might be screening a lot. He might be screening a lot, whatever position he's on the floor, but I think he's a good screener. I think that matters. And I think some of that is just that he's huge. <laughs> he's just imposing, yeah. right? And so he, I think he gets a little jittery because he's an athlete and rolls too early sometimes or doesn't quite wait for the contact. And when he actually sets, like, boom, hit you with the screen. I hope you didn't hear that shake my mic. Um, it's a good <laughs> screen. And I think that's going to be important for him too because he is quick. He is an athlete, right? If he's going to be finishing plays around the basket, setting a good screen is going to matter. And I think that. Projects well for him to potentially be a five sometimes when the matchup permits it. Yeah, you mentioned the imposing presence. Uh, the listing I have here has Miles Turner at 250. That's about <laughs> the same weight, right? Like, right, right. <laughs> like right. that's as big. He's not as tall, but like as big and heavy as this guy is getting hit with the screen, very literally is getting hit with the same amount of weight in a lot of ways. Um, and then, you know, obviously he's a 19 year old kid that wants to get to the rim and catch a lob, but. Outside, outside of teaching through that, I think that he's going to, especially with a guy like Halliburton coming off the screen, oh my God, how much fun could that be? Yeah. 
What do you make of him as a rebounder? That's the last kind of like key thing that people want to hear about. I mean, I, I never really have opinions of guys as rebounders unless they're like so good or so bad at it. And I didn't feel like you stood out in either way on that, but he's fine. You know, he doesn't, he's not like he was never a guy that I felt like was a liability in a college Agreed. game, right? So like in a college game where I'm like, oh crap, if he's on the floor. His guy's going to kill us. Like that was certainly <laughs> never the case. Um, right. He had a couple of games there where um, like Jawan Roberts, the starting center got in foul trouble um, against like Tulane, I want to say. And so like he stuck out and like he got a few extra boards in that one. Um, against Miami, Miami was notably Miami got to the final four, but was not very tall, right? Um, and while they did beat Houston in the Sweet 16, I want to say he had double digit rebounds in that one too, because they, he was playing guys kind of his own height, right? Um, I, but never at any point in the season when I was like, oh my God, his guy's getting all the offensive rebounds and he can't find a body. Or that was that was never the case. It was never anything like that. It just he wasn't uh, he wasn't grabbing sixteen or he went or twenty two or he wasn't uh, Oscar Shibway at Kentucky or anything like that either, right? <laughs> Miami knocked out my Hoosiers, so I'm you're dead to me for bringing that up again. <laughs> but they, didn't the right. they got us too. They got us. Too. <laughs> this is a Pacers show, after all. I do want to talk about. Jarris' fit with this. Well, this is a crossover show, but I host the Pacers show uh, specifically with this team and what they have. And to do that, I'm going to pull up that Carlisle quote that I referenced earlier. The exact thing he said at his ex interview about two months ago was Everybody wants a foreman that has length, that can guard multiple positions, that can shoot threes and make plays. It's become one of the hardest positions to fill. I don't know if necessarily you're going to see, see Jairus Walker making plays, but he checks a lot of those boxes. And hey, if you look at the Pacers roster, they have no forward depth right now, right? That is a big part of this. They have Jordan Wara. They have Aaron Neesmith, sort of. They have Chris Duarte, sort of. And everybody else is a bigger regard. It's like they desperately need forwards. I'm not ever like a draft for fit guy. I always think you draft the best player available. But, but... The Pacers are in a unique spot where they have a lot of guys at some positions and almost none at this position that their coach just said was critically important. Again, I'm not saying they should draft for fit specifically, but it definitely should be a tiebreaker in their case, given how <laughs> low their depth is at that spot, like a significant tiebreaker. And the fact that, one, there are a lot of forwards in this draft matters, but Walker just fits a lot of the stuff that they talked about needing. And I'm just so into the way that he plugs a lot of their holes as a defender and a switching guy and a finisher on offense and just an imposing sort of tough threat that I think he fits really well with what the Pacers need. They were 26th in defense this past season, 30th after the all-star break. It's their second straight year of terrible defense. They've talked about that being the thing they needed to improve the most. And I think he can come in and plug a lot of their holes in that end. He's going to have, you know, it's not going to happen right away. It never does for rookies. I, I, I was amazed how good Benedict Matherin was last year as a rookie because I usually parrot the rookies are bad phrase over and over and over again. And they had two good rookies last year, but he's got a chance to be an impactful defender pretty quickly. And he fills a very big need for the Pacers. He is an excellent fit of the guys like typically mocked in their range to me. Yeah. It's interesting that obviously you're in, if you're in the lottery, you need to take best available probably anyway, yeah. but odds are just in this particular lottery that the best available will be a forward, right? Like, like, I don't know how much insight Carla has into what the six picks before him will be, but Brandon Miller's looking like he's going to be a top three pick. Um, I think of the Thompson Thompson kids as almost forwards. I guess they're technically, they bring the ball up though. Uh, Cam Whitmore is a Villanova kid. He's in this range. Um, Jarris, I would argue, because of how high that floor is, when you're a good defender, 
I, I have him very high in this draft, and I um I would have a hard time seeing him fall past seven because to me, if he fell past seven in the Pacers, that's A, means that you probably took another four, like a Cam Whitmore or what have you, right? And then B, I'm like, what's going on? Why 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 was Cam why, why were these guys all available at seven? Um as a Houston guy, I'm also a Rockets guy, so I am paying attention to the top part of the draft. Right. Um <laughs> fairly closely to say the least. And it's been several years of doing that for what it's worth. Um, but I really feel like Jarris with that high floor for a team like Carlisle coached, got has Tyrese Halliburton, has like you mentioned, a couple guys who are good rookies last season. Miles Turner can't be around forever. I, I feel like maybe, maybe he will be, <laughs> but I like um I, I just feel like he fits in well as an immediate plug and play guy on a team that really could make some leaps. I mean, we're seeing a Miami team that almost lost in the play in win the Eastern conference and, and go one, one in the uh, NBA finals and da, 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 right. Like theoretically getting to that play in for Indiana shouldn't be out of the question next season. And this is a guy that can be a starter and help you get there. Like, I feel like that's something they can't pass on. Yeah. The top three is almost always mocked as the same three players, but like, you know, Houston probably won't pick Jarrett at four, but you know, every team four through nine, it's like, dang, he, he fits really well with that team. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. so, so th- that just kind of tells you what the kind of player he is and what the NBA asks of you these days. And the thing about fit that's really interesting to me is like, I, I've stopped, like last year, I talked about this a lot. Like, I stopped caring about like, how does Jarris Walker fit with the top nine guys the Pacers have right now? Because the NBA changes so fast now with your teams that that's not like the best exercise. But what I do like to do is the best guys, like Tyrese Halberton is going to be a Pacer for as long as they, they can have him, right? He fits very well with Halberton and covers up a lot of his weaknesses. Matherin, same thing. He'll probably be a Pacer for a long time. Fits really well with him, covers up a lot of his weaknesses. If they keep, uh, Turner's going to be in whatever sort of rumbling things for forever and ever. But, <laughs> forever. You know, Pair they pair incredibly well in the front court defensively. Thad Young and Miles Turner together was one of the best Pacers defensive front courts of their current front office's era, right? Like that, that the fit is strong with the guys that you'd project Andrew Nimhart as well, that he would actually be playing with for the longest time when he is actually, you know, integrated in the NBA and good and not just a rookie and fitting him in with this exact iteration of the Pacers. And that's why I, you know, some of these other teams, I don't know if you could say that as much about as you can with the Pacers who already have that creator is going to have the ball at the time. and just needs Jarris to screen, cut, finish plays, make a third at minimum of your threes, right? They have that infrastructure in place already. So I just, I really think the fit is fantastic. And I think a lot of fans have already noticed that noted that as well. But in particular, the more I watch him, I'm like, man, yeah, he, he just size wise, skill wise is a great fit with the blue and gold. Uh, well, and frankly, um, like Carlisle with a ring on his finger and all those, like that's a pretty <laughs> yeah. strong coach to have, like go to go from IMG Academy to Kelvin Sampson to Rick Carlisle. Like that's a lot of basketball IQ being passed around there. Um, would have to think that that'd be something Jairus would want himself. I mean, he chose Houston for a guy like Sampson and I'm sure that he would choose a coach in the pros like Carl. It's been around the block a few times. Um, I, I, I like to fit a lot as a Houston guy. Um, Obviously, that'd be, there'd be something nice about having him as a rocket, but it doesn't look like they're going to go that way, right? So, <laughs> hey, James Harden's going to need some defense behind him, right? There we go. Apparently, that's what's <laughs> that's the perfect response to me. Yeah, I I'm a big fan of what Walker is like. It takes a lot for me to be like 
really into defense prospects just because I value shot creation so much. But Jarris and Hendricks, fittingly, are two guys that are mainly known for their defense. And I'm like, oh, yeah, these guys are going to be good in the NBA, at least to me, right? I'm just a guy. I have obviously watched way less than Parker has of Jarris Walker, but I'm a big fan of what he could be in the NBA one day and for the team with seventh pick could be a fantastic fit. Parker, this was fun. For my Patriots listeners, where can they follow you and your coverage of the Houston Cougs, the Cougars? Yeah, Locked on Cougs, daily podcast with the Houston Cougars. Uh, same place you find Locked on Pacers, obviously, wherever you get your podcast, YouTube, etc. Um, and then on Twitter, I'm at Paynesworth512. That's P-A-I-N-S-W-R-T-H-512. I'm, my name is Parker Ainsworth. It worked out that way, but that's a fun handle. Um, on all your social medias, Paynesworth512, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all the things. I'm not super active on TikTok, but I guess that's one of them, right? Um, so that's where I'm at. <laughs> My, my life goal is to be the youngest person who never downloads TikTok. So far, so good. Hopefully that, that doesn't change anytime soon. I see them everywhere else. This is what this conversation has become. I see them on other social medias. It's like, do I need this? Does it matter if I see it earlier? Um, yeah, follow Parker. Uh, listen to Lockdown Cougs. Lockdown Podcast Network's got stuff on your team if you are interested in the Indiana College teams. Of course, we've got Lockdown Hoosiers and Lockdown Irish as well. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Tony R East tomorrow. Howard Beck's going to rejoin us talking about some Pacers team building topics from this summer. We got shooting guard for agency preview coming this week. Some other draft players. I like coming as well. Thank you guys a ton for listening to locked on Cougs and locked on Pacers. We'll see you soon.